some words, doctor, but those words, there are other words that I can't have. I can't have. I can't, I can't. Doctor, 
in the dictionary, words are disappearing. So it was something like that. I don't mean to make light of it, Cam, but I'm just trying to illustrate to you that's kind of what it was like. And while it was happening, I heard the word disappearing. Wow. So that was the physical attribute of what was destroyed. Ultimately, it took more than 24 hours after that moment in time and a dramatic, silly story about different hospitals and running out of the hospital, all kinds of stuff, before eventually, 24 hours after that, the doctor, a neurologist at Cedar sinai got my data, got my information, sat me down, Mr. Vega, you have had a major stroke, a major ischemic stroke. It wasn't hemorrhagic, ischemic. But something happened to the flow of your brain, blood, flow of blood to the brain. You had a major stroke. I find this interesting because a lot of people, when they lose their words, other people can't understand them and they don't understand why someone's not understanding them. Because they think they're fine, but you knew you were losing your words. And you knew there was something wrong. So to me, that's, that's kind of backwards of what I've heard from other people about how they, you know, were talking, they thought they were making sense, and, and they weren't. Nothing. Um, so you kind of recuperated from that. You had a little bit of time there, and, and you were feeling good again, and then you had the second one. Right. That's right. So after, after um, getting into the hospital and having an MRI, and, and uh, uh, literally, I, I, I broke out of one hospital because they weren't giving me answers, and I literally just tore off the electrodes from the... I just put my clothes back on and walked out the hospital door and called my doctor. After, uh, these guys don't know what they're doing, or at least they're not giving me answers. What should I do? And when he realized I was walking down Sunset Boulevard, about 24, by that point, it was about 24 hours after this had happened. And he said, wait, am I, are you, wait, are you telling me, where are you right now? And I said, I'm walking down Sunset Boulevard. I left. These guys don't know what they're doing. He said, wait, you, you're not in the hospital anymore. No, I'm not in the hospital. I just left. He said, okay, you had a, I, I think you had a stroke. We've got to, I, I need to get you to Cedar sinai right now. you got to call the emergency room. you got to do this, that. I said, okay, fine, fine. They put the phone down and call 911. So I called 911. Then I didn't know what to say. And so I called the doctor back. I'm like, I, I don't, what do you want me to say? Like, how do I, what do you need me to do? So it wasn't, in that moment, then Cam, it wasn't just that my words had, had, had escaped me. It was that detriment was still happening. So I was still poking around and searching for words. It was as though I went from a great speed typist to I was like hunting and poking and pecking, like trying to spell the words, right? But aside from that, I realized whether I was excited or overwhelmed or I was in shock, I didn't know, but I could tell something else was wrong because I couldn't understand. The doctor just told me to do something, and it was very simple instructions. I hung up and hung him up, hung up on him and called to do it, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. So he got me into Cedars, or I went to Cedars, I busted into the neurologist's office, and of course, here I am, I'm a, I'm an articulate lawyer who apparently just had a stroke at another hospital, busting in the door of the head neurologist at Cedars-Sinai. The Cedars-Sinai neurologist thinks rightfully so. He said, okay, this must be a setup. Maybe it's a hidden camera TV show. I don't know. But certainly, i got to do something. You can't have a lawyer bust in and say, I think I had a stroke. Help me out. I don't know what's going on. So luckily, that neurologist took it seriously, sat me down, got the data, told me I had this stroke. 
And then I was under his care and another team for a couple of months. My vocab, I was in the stroke unit for about a week. My vocabulary seemed to return in about five or six days, I thought. But over time, over time, even to this day, every once in a while, there, a word will come to me and I will have this realization that, oh, I used to use that word frequently. I haven't used that word for many years. It's one of my good words. But I wasn't aware. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't remember. So that's happening even to this day. Uh, but the, the doctors got me back in and said, you can go, you can start to exercise again. And he had to say this, when they did all the tests, the diagnosis was it was an embolic stroke of undetermined source, ESUS. Only 3% of the 800,000 strokes that happen in the United States every year are, are the, that's the, that's the diagnosis. That's what the, that's what all the Western professionals determine you to have, an embolic stroke of undetermined source. Having said that, the neurologist and a cardiologist put me on some medication, got me exercising more than I had been. But more than that, I'd always been, you know, I never really was heavy or anything like that. But I started tracking and my diet and more so than I ever had before. So I did that and I was very excited after June 22nd, 2015 to get, start recovering. And I'd never ran, uh, I hadn't run for 30 years and I'd never run a marathon. And Years prior, I had some knee surgery, so I just kind of thought, ah, I'll never run again, you know, but that's fine. And I wasn't thinking about it for years until this, until the stroke happened. So I asked the doctor about running and walking and what can I do. He gave me some ideas, and there's so much change, technology changes in shoe technology and physiology and physical therapy. You know, modalities have changed, methodologies have changed in the last 30 years, so I was actually able to learn a lot about those two things, and I started running. And I put my eye on this. I, I had in my sights the January, February 14, 2016, Valentine's Day, the L.A. Marathon. I thought, oh, how perfect that's going to be. It'll be a goal to demonstrate to myself and my, my clients and my family and my community that I'm back. The stroke is done. I whipped it. It's good to go. It doesn't matter that we don't know what caused it, how to prevent it or whether it's going to happen again, that shouldn't affect me. I'm going to be good to go. So I was training like I'd never been before, a lot more discipline than I'd ever had. I'm monitoring my weight, my heart, blood pressure, my everything. Oh, by the way, I never had high blood pressure, never had high cholesterol. But when you're diagnosed with all stroke of an undetermined source, and you're concerned about blood flow to the brain, all Western medicine doctors kind of give you some kind of a statin, some kind of a baby aspirin, right, the blood thinner, so, and the cholesterol medicine, not because I've ever was diagnosed with those things, because they just don't know what else to do. Right. So from that moment on, right, I started to take those kinds of things. So a month before the, the marathon, I ran a long run on a Saturday, and on Sunday, I was having lunch, and uh, in the kitchen, a lot of people around the house, and uh, knocked a glass on the counter off to the floor. I knelt down to pick up the glass, and I looked down to my hand to pick up the, the glass, and my hand was not controllable somehow, and then both hands were not controllable, and I realized I couldn't stand up. I was up kneeling down, and I, I I was just trying to pick up the glass, and I just knocked glass on the water. I wanted a glass of water on the floor. That's no big deal. And, but I couldn't move, and it didn't feel exactly like a funny bone, but I was, I was kneeling down, and I, I just couldn't get it together. Luckily, though, family's in the house. So I yelled out to my daughter, Evelyn, 
at the time they were, I think, they were 11 years old. Evelyn, hey, baby, can you come in here a second? I dropped something in the kitchen. Can you help me out? But what Evelyn hears me say is, So she comes in the kitchen. Dad, you are such a goofball. And she walks away. Well, thank God that was her reaction because she wasn't afraid of anything, right? She's like, oh, just dad, goofing around on the on the floor. <laughs> right? Thank goodness. But my wife, she comes down the hallway sliding into frame with her phone at her ear, just like the old Risky Business movie, right? Remember when Tom Cruise slid through holding a hairbrush as though he's going to sing? She, she slid right into frame, and I'm looking at her right into door frame. She's got her phone in her ear. She comes over to me and says, Mark, shh, quiet, don't say anything. I think you had another stroke. So my wife's finally happy that the paramedics aren't freaked out. So then I quiet down. <laughs> I get in the ambulance, and we go We go to Cedars. They do all the tests again. Sure enough, unfortunately, same diagnosis, symbolic stroke, undetermined source. Other side of the brain, twice as big as the first stroke. Uh, no apparent impact on my vocabulary, but my, the aphasia, now the aphasia was more familiar for me, aphasia, enunciation, and control the muscles inside the mouth, um, and, but within 12 hours, this time, within 12 hours, everything was, within 12 hours, I could, it felt like my, I had come back from in the cold, you know, when you ever go into the cold and the snow and you're skiing for for a couple hours and you come back in and you take your, like you can't, it's like the blood's not circulating. Well, it took 12 hours or so or 24 hours. By that time though, everything was kind of okay and I could, I could move. I was grateful. I acknowledged, I knew that I had another stroke. I was so grateful that as far as I could tell from an ambulatory perspective, I could move. They didn't want me to move fast. They didn't want me to, the, the blood doctor came in. I didn't have a hematologist before then after the first stroke, but after the second stroke, he didn't want me to do anything. No, no marathon, no movement, no exercise, no nothing. So for probably two months, for eight weeks, I really was restricted to do about as little as I could possibly, even movement, because they just didn't know. They didn't know it was going to trigger something else. They just, just didn't know. So that was the difference between the first and the second. Uh, the success story, though, is I'm in the, I've been in the doctor's office a couple of months in in the neurologist's office, and I'm like, I didn't get to do the marathon, man. That was the whole point, right? Remember, I was training. And now it's even more important, now that there's two strokes, it's even more important to me. I mean, I want to finish the marathon. I want to run. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to do 100 of them, but I want to do this. I think you can do that. Good. When do you think we can do it? He said, ah, by the end of the year. This is 2016. Uh, Stroke happens in January, and he's talking to me about this in about May. In May and June, and I said, well, when in the end of the year? He said, the last quarter. I said, okay, so November, December? He said, yeah. I said, so November? He said, yeah. Okay. Right there in his office, I pulled up my phone and looking, you, you just searched for uh, uh, marathon in November. And the first one that pops up is New York City. New York City is the biggest marathon there is, most globally famous. You can't just get into the New York City marathon. You have to qualify. You have to do all kinds of stuff. But it was November 6th, two days before the election of 2016, upcoming. I say to the doctor, what about November 6th? Is that okay? 
said, yeah, I think you'll be fine. You, you know, let's stay in touch and you follow the regimen and you don't train like a crazy person. I think you'll be just fine. Great. So that, in my mind, that was it. So I decided I'm going to run a marathon. It's going to happen to be the biggest, best, most audacious marathon you can run in the world. It's often people on people's bucket list for marathons, but this was my first. And I was able to do it. I ran for charity. I ran for the National Stroke Association, which means I had to get a bunch of pledges because you can't be without, you know, who knows? They didn't know if I was going to. I just didn't want to stroke out. I ran the New York City Marathon in 2016, November 6th. I finished out. took more than six hours for me to do it. And as I'm coming across the finish line, I just start bawling my eyes out. I'm crying. I'm not running with anybody else, totally by myself. I'm just crying like a crazy man because it meant in that moment so much to me. And so I felt really satisfied that I'd accomplished something. And I thought it was a great way to put a bow on both strokes, thinking even though we don't know if it's, I can prevent them or what to do in the future, uh, at least this demonstrated to myself, mentally, physically, and to my community that I survived. And I could continue to survive, and I could carry that message of survivorship to others. You an attorney, and you are practicing. What kind of attorney are you? I'm an intellectual property attorney. And uh, intellectual property is covered by many things. It's patents and trademarks and copyright. For me, though, I'm not a patent lawyer, and I don't spend a lot of time with trademarks, so copyright underlies uh, most of what I do. Copyright usually finds its life in the entertainment sector, making motion pictures and movies and television shows and music, for example, but it also covers licensing in the uh, information technology uh, universe, IT, right? So that's software developers, um, the uh, software like Zoom, the platforms that we're using right now. So... I represent a lot of developers and people in technology, and then I also represent a lot of people in entertainment, and I've been doing it long enough now, so mostly I represent financiers of one sort or another, um, though I do have a handful of directors and writers that I still take care of over time. So how has the stroke affected your ability as an attorney? I think uh, I, feel, I feel really grateful and blessed. Because I don't know other stroke survivors exactly like me, but I'm sure they exist. Um, lawyers who have strokes are a little bit like unicorns, uh, not because we don't believe they exist, but because they don't make themselves they don't make themselves visible. Because as you can imagine, the brain injury, whether it's a traumatic brain injury or a stroke of some other sort, because it's the brain, you don't want to broadcast that somehow you know, your primary tool that you use professionally, your brain, has been impacted in one way or another, perhaps. And people, lawyers, just seem to be really reluctant to self-identify as lawyers and self-identify as drug survivors. I found a couple, and you can look them up online, and you'll see occasional news stories about them, but there are a lot fewer, there are, there are very few who report it, but I'm confident that there are many more who actually do it. And the reason for that would be, uh, and I do know some lawyers who are severely debilitated with strokes, and once they have strokes, they're no longer lawyers. They, it took their world changed so much, fundamentally changed their existence, their day in and day out routine, that it was impossible to return to work, whether they were going to be a bricklayer or a lawyer, it didn't matter. That's how impactful the strokes were. But I'm certain there are many lawyers like me 
thousands like me uh, who recover relatively quickly and uh, almost completely. And certainly to the extent that there are uh, attributes that might show up occasionally, uh, they're not going to be interfering with you doing the work. What it did for me, though, was it allowed me, I, I didn't understand stroke. I didn't know stroke from stroke. So I immediately slowed everything down. So after the stroke in June 2015, went back to my office and I kind of, I slowed everything down. So I got rid of a handful of clients and other transactions, uh, not saying, not because I had a stroke, but I was just changing everything. So I slowed everything down and at the same time I made my world small. And it was very, very helpful to do. Because once things slowed down, and I didn't have to worry about running a handful of businesses, just a couple, and I didn't have to worry about having a dealing with a number of employees or partners or collaborators. Everything got very small. And so it allowed me to slow down and really focus on what I wanted to do, how I was going to move forward. And because the doctors didn't have a great explanation for me, nobody could say, oh, Mark, it's you, you had a stroke because of this, these three things. Just cut out these three things and you'll be fine. I didn't have that. So I didn't know what really to focus on. So I went inward and I started doing a lot of things, including a lot of, um, I did start to run more, right? I started to run and that, that gave me a kind of a chance to meditate a lot more uh, through the process of running and while I'm running. And I covered thousands of miles and lots and lots and lots of hours to do that, but also let me go back into, you know, um, textbooks and sources, knowledge sources. So I started looking at philosophy. I looked at religion. I looked at science. I looked at the entire self-help universe from when it started till now. Like, I looked everywhere. And I did find that by doing that, by slowing things down and making things smaller, I was allowed to establish a real firm footprint of how to operate. Now, I know, Cam, you asked me about lawyering and how did it change your practice, and that was a little bit like you asking me, what time is it, Mark? And I just told you how to make the watch. But this really is the answer to the question. So the, I knew I had to continue practicing law. Not practicing law was not an option. I also knew, and this was fantastic, within the first week when I was in with the lawyer, with the neurologist, trying to explain what I know and don't know, the oddest, most interesting thing, that there are paragraphs in, um, I do a lot of transactions. I go to court sometimes, that's litigation, but I do a lot of deals, a lot of transactions. So I was concerned, like, oh, my God, do I forget the transactions? But no, I could recite word for word by memory uh, a confidentiality paragraph or an indemnification paragraph or the recitals that are customarily appear at the top head of the front end of a contract or the net profit concept. How to define profits? Who's going to share what? How do you create an operating agreement for companies? So there are so many transactions and deals that I've done hundreds of times over the years, and none of those things, knock on wood, none of those things were effective. Like literally, I would go to the call up a contract. They felt like good friends. They felt like they were good old friends. Like woohoo! Okay. That's all there. Thank goodness, right? So when I slowed things down and kind of had a minute, that's really what I was doing. I was diving into 
contracts and assesses like, okay, what are these contracts? What are these? Okay. Oh God, I did this one last. Oh yeah, I just did one of these, did 20 of these. What does this look like? So I went through a very real inventory of my, basically a knowledge assessment for myself. Not because I didn't trust anything, but because I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what I forgot. How could you know what you forget if you forget it, right? So when I went through that process after the first stroke, that great gave me a tremendous amount of confidence. I was like, oh, man, I am so grateful. Because while the vocabulary is slowly coming back, the concept and the knowledge and the judgment calls uh, were finely tuned. And they were in place. And after the second stroke, same thing happened. After the second stroke, I had to do even a, a greater deep dive into how to focus uh, the work. And it was uh, since that time, I've, I've reached out to many different lawyers from the American Bar Association to various state-level bar organizations to really help understand how lawyers who've had strokes and survived strokes who are willing and interested in continuing to practice, how we do that. How we do that, and really, for me, I could tell it was about encouragement more than anything else. So the lawyers that I have talked to, you know, we weren't doing video interviews with each other, but the lawyers that I spoke with, we all were kind of shared very similar stories. So I'm very grateful for that. I agree with you about reassessing things and slowing things down. And, and I still do that today. If I did, things have to be very slow in my life and very calm. All right. When I started studying, I discovered some. I discovered some philosophy. There's an acknowledgement that there's only two things in the world: those things that we control, and we are in control of our impressions or reactions to things, and we are in control of our actions. Everything else is just not our concern. So things aren't as they appear to be or as we wish them to be. Things are what they are. And that concept helped me to understand my own stroke scenario, and that really helped me to understand that. So, Mark, do you have any other pieces of advice you would like to share with our listeners? Go easy on yourself. And really come to understand there's only, you're not in control of most things, but you are in control of your opinions and your impressions and the reactions we have. So when you get news that might otherwise, previously you might have thought, oh my God, it's terrible news. Well, it's up to you to receive that information and make it terrible or not. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Hand in Hand Show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to keep the discussion going, please join Stroke Focus, the social media website dedicated to stroke survivors and caregivers. Stroke Focus is S-T-R-O-K-E-F-O-C-U-S. Stroke Focus is a part of Wohala, which in Mandarin means I have survived. If you wish to be a part of the show or would like to be interviewed as part of the show, please contact us at contact at strokefocus.net.